0: If you're worried about your own or someone's mental health, start the conversation and access support. Visit www.staychatty.com.au/gethelp for a list of services. This week's episode of Unannounced is proudly brought to you by Borders by the Bay. Be sure to join the movement by using the code unannounced 15 at the checkout for a cheeky discount off your order. On this week's episode, I sat down with good mate Matt Doran. Matt and I spoke about his transition from Hobart to Queensland, his short hurdling career and so much more. Hope you enjoy. Well, uh, welcome to the podcast, Matt. Uh, it's great to have you on. Would you just like to start by giving us a bit of a background on your, I guess, your childhood, school and sport? And yeah, we'll just sort of go from there, mate. Yeah, no worries,
1: mate. So yeah, born in Tassie, uh, down in Hobart, mum and dad down there. got a twin brother who's 195 and 5 kilos and I'm 160 and 60 kilos. So don't know what happened there, but he obviously got the good genes um so yeah uh born in Taddy, lived there till i was 19 20 went through school just up the road from where i lived in, in mount stuart so i went to mount stuart primary and then and then moved to some Virgils for grade seven to ten loved it out there loved like, made a lot of mates and didn't do a whole lot of school work but got through and then from there went to Guildford young college in in hobart as well and then yeah i guess got through that as well didn't really didn't really set the world on fire there just sort of passed the subjects i needed to and mum would have killed me if i didn't so um jake was killing it at the time as well and lot smarter than me so he was um he was going well and so obviously family wise got mum and dad twin brother jake and then another younger brother Zach who's three or four years younger than me sport wise sort of played a few different things um mainly footy um so played footy all through North Hobart juniors and then onto the North Hobart senior club played there in there last year before they became Hobart City. Played at Hobart City for the for the three years that they were around and then and then left in at the end of twenty sixteen. So I think I missed their last year that they were around and then decided to sort of move up here to further my footy. I'd spoken to Ryan Matthews a fair bit, um, sort of came close with him when he was at Hobart City and we sort of talked a fair bit about you know sort of furthering my career and, and my footy and, and all that sort of thing and told me that the would probably be a good fit for me went from there got in contact with a few clubs it was probably only really Aspley and Southport in the end but Southport made way more sense than, than Aspley did because it wasn't a, an hour drive away or a hour and ten drive away so yeah got in contact with them and signed with them pretty quickly and and made the move and decided to try uni while I was there as well and did that and yeah, moved up with with Brooke and yeah, mate. That's pretty much me. At the moment, uh, just plugging on, mate. Mr Hobart City days of taking you to training and taking you on, <laughs> giving you lifts everywhere for
0: two dollars petrol money we'll touch on that we'll touch on that. that's good that's good um we'll go we'll go back a little bit obviously i know your parents are probably not the type of people to do this but um yeah sure growing up with a twin brother and obviously you know the whole conception of twins are just dressing the same and all that sort of stuff to make it easy and all that um did you and did (laughs) jolt or julie ever put um you put you and jack in the same kits
1: Yeah, it was pretty much the same kit, mate. It was we we're both in stripes, obviously. That must have been the go back then. I'd be in blue stripes, and he'd be in red stripes. So I don't know, I don't know why they decided to the dress us the same. I've had the com- we have had the conversation with mum, and makes all our, our baby photos a bit shit ass. But she tried. Yeah. But she just changed the colour a bit, and then ended up blue being my favourite colour. Jake's was red, so it was a bit of a method to wear madness a bit there. But I'm not sure Dad was happy with it. But um, <laughs> you would have hated that. <laughs> yeah, but well, it wasn't too bad. It's pretty funny now, sort of going back. And, and giving a bit of giving a bit of stick about it, but yeah, it's all in good fun, mate.
0: Yeah, no, nah, that's good. That's good. Um, so you touched a little bit about football there. One thing I did notice when um I was playing football with you and Jack at North Hobart, that um, so you're obviously your your football number is obviously seven. While well, I was at North Hobart, and Jack's was eight. Was there? What's what's the go there? What was the story behind that? I don't really know. Jake has always
1: liked eight. Originally, I got given number twenty and wore that for a year, I think, or mm. a couple of years. Didn't mind it, and then decided that I wanted to be in the single digits and I thought, well, if I'm gonna to go to the the single digits I've got to have I've got to be at higher or lower than Jake. So I thought I'll just take the next one, the next one below him and, and took seven and it's a good number and I like it. So um, yeah, I don't know. It just it is a bit
0: weird now that I think about it. I didn't really think about it when I was there to be honest. But he probably started it so I just thought I have to one up him. Yeah, because that's exactly the same as um Tim and Tim and Jacko shares from Geelong. They've both got seven and nine. So I just thought it was just this weird twin. Twin thing that's got that people have got going on. I think it must be competition though. Nah, it so is for us. Most things are. Yeah, so you're just going out and going, nah, stuff this. I'm gonna go seven to prove that I'm the better player in the family. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. That's a huge that's a huge power move and I respect that. Unlucky Jake. Um, <laughs> um you touched on school and how you sort of just went through the motions and just sort of scraped through, I guess. What what was school like, obviously, for you? Because St Virgil's is a very, very competitive school. And then, obviously, moving to Guildford yeah. after that. What was that sort of, um, what was those few years at school for you? I probably went to school at St Virgil's with the full
1: intention of, you know, going well and, and getting good grades and all that sort of thing. And, you know, I mean, I like to muck around a little bit and it sort of got me in a bit more trouble than I, than I initially planned. But, yeah, I think. The, the mateship there and, and the, the sort of camaraderie, I guess, of, of going to St. Bertels and and um, having that rivalry with sort of the other all boys schools in the, in the sort of Southern, Southern end of the state sort of made everyone a bit closer. And yeah, you sort of bonded over the fact that and not many people really liked some birdles folks. So to, yeah, I guess that, that bond and, and creating that mateship was, was massive. And um, I made a lifelong friends out of it. And it was sort of, yeah, those sort of three, four years was, was unbelievable in, in terms of, of making friends and, and, um, sort of getting to do school on the side as well. But um, even though that probably should have been the main priority, but it's one of those things and, and you probably experienced it as well. It's Newtown that um, you make friends there and, and you learn a lot about, I guess, loyalty and treating people with respect and all that sort of thing. And the way that St. Virgil's ran it and, and the things that they stood for really sort of resonated with me. And and um, I, I'd like to think that I carried some of those values sort of into my life going forward and then sort of going to Guildford co-ed school so girls, girls and boys and was a bit different obviously to to the four years I spent at the Virgil's because not change the way you act and everything but um, it's got to be more aware of, of, of the people around you I think because um, as you would know sort of all boys schools they can be a bit competitive and there's a bit of um, sort of smack talk I guess Guildford was great to sort of further my education and all that. sort of if I had the choice you know probably would have if some Virgil's had the, the honor of, of 11 and 12 probably would have just stayed there but obviously they don't so Guilford's sort of the next the next option and a lot of people in the sort of southern end of Tassie sort of gravitate towards Guilford anyway. So knew a lot of people there and, and had a lot of fun there as well. Uh, most mostly all St Virgil's guys that I was sort of close to ended up there or or you know, I played footy against on a weekend. So yeah, didn't really lose lose many mates sort of moving to, to Guildford anyway. So it was a bit of a bit of a no brainer to be to be honest, mate. A
0: lot of people have actually said that that I've talked to that went to St Virgil's saying that they would have probably stayed. Why why is that if you don't mind me asking? Probably the mateship was probably one of the, the big driving forces.
1: And then just the sort of the culture of the school and the way, you know, you, you make relationships with, with the teachers as well and they really look after you and, and try and make you a better person as well as as well as trying to obviously educate you. So I think probably just the culture of the school and, and the mateship and, and everything that sort of came along with it made it, made it pretty hard to leave. The two years at Guildford were, were fine. Like they, were, they were great as well. They have quite a, quite a strong culture as well. As you know, going there... Um, obviously to the Glenorchy camp as well as Hobart, but they're, they're quite strong in, in what they go, go for and, and, um, and all that sort of thing as well. And they've got quite a, quite a good history. So, yeah, I wouldn't go
0: back and change it if I could. Um, but, yeah, so obviously there was the option there and I probably would have, would have stayed. You touched on football being the main sport you played. Where did that sort of start for you? Because I know over time your dad started yeah. getting, or your, your whole family really got involved with the whole... North Hobart Football Club and the juniors. And then we'll touch on, obviously, when it split into Hobart City and then all that drama happened. But at the good old days, what was that like for you playing footy with, I guess, your best mate, Jack Jack McCulloch, and then having your dad there as well as your brother? What was, what was that like for you? Um, yeah, that no, was awesome. Obviously, got into footy at a pretty
1: young age. And I think that was just purely because footy was in the in the family, I guess. Um, so Pop was obviously um, quite an accomplished footy player. And, um dad Dad had a really long career and really successful career with sort of you know sandy bay and and the southern cats when they were around and and then kingston and and all that sort of thing and won a lot of won a lot of premierships and and he learned a lot from footy and he obviously thought that if if we were going to play then it was it was a good idea and um at the time we were sort of i guess living in mount stewart and we were close to north hobart so it was sort of a more of a uh, not a convenience, but like a sort of the closest pub that was there. So went there and um, obviously met met Jacko Jacko McCulloch who became sort of one of my probably my best mate growing up and, and still is to this day. So yeah, making the mates there that you that you go through with and and then obviously mum and mum couldn't help herself and she just gets involved in whatever we're doing. So she ended up president of the junior club. So she was just running the show, mate, um, and we just sort of fell in line for her. So but yeah, she she loves it and her and her and dad just. Just wanted to be involved. I think so. Yeah, it was, it was awesome going through and having family there and, and sort of being having them as role models as well. So mum obviously on the I wouldn't say the admin side, but yeah, president side, and then dad sort of helping out with with everything footy. So um, and then you've obviously got you know guys like like Jacko and his his mate his mate his dad Ricky. Um, they ended up coaching with dad. So um, both huge role models and and sort of shaped the way that that we all played footy. Uh, I think dad took over as coach in under 14s or 15s, I think, maybe 15s, with Ricky as a um an assistant and, and Darren Mathis and Isaac's old man as well. And that's when we sort of took off as a, as a junior club, I think, in, in my sort of era and won a couple of flags in a row and really sort of cemented ourselves as, as a big junior club. And, and I think they still are to this day. So mum still sort of gets involved here and there, and even though she's not president anymore because she, she was sort of president for another like a few years when she didn't even have a kid there. So... That's how much she loved it and, and how much she wanted to be involved and, and help out the junior club. So, Dad, there's not many words you can say that, that show how, how big of an influence they had on on our footy and, and our life at that time. Like, it was just, yeah, it was incredible having them around and, and making friends along the way as
0: well, like yourself. Right? So, yeah, it's, just, it's pretty hard to put into words, to be honest. Yeah, no, nah, your parents were uh, well, are wonderful people, and they not only had a big influence on your life, but also on my life, and obviously a lot of the kids that went through that North Hobart junior stage, and even the senior boys, I know a lot of them, a lot of the boys loved um, your parents, and obviously when all that shit happened with getting to um, Hobart City, there was a lot of, um, I guess, controversy and all that sort of crap. But um, no, nah, your your parents were wonderful people, especially on like Thursday nights getting free. Three meals, the pastor and um, <laughs> the pastor on a Thursday night. That was probably the only reason I went to training. <laughs> knew, knew I wasn't going to get a seat game, but um, the pastor was, yeah, always was good there. But no, nah, um, <laughs> I wanted to touch on saying, obviously, so... The pastor made you feel special. Yeah, it made me feel <laughs> part of the club. <laughs> um, So obviously... You, <laughs> You're having a twin brother. You guys are obviously the same age. So you obviously went through school together. So primary school, um, yeah. high school and college. And then playing at the same football club. And then your brother plays at the same football club. Your mum's all involved there and your dad's all involved there as well. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, at times, did you sort of feel like, or did you ever want sort of just like your own sort of space? So I know for me personally, like even being home, like my house is there's so many things going on that at times like I go for a walk and it's like, Oh, this is so good. I'm just by myself but and yeah. me sports somewhere I can just get away from my family and all that sort of stuff. But I guess for you, your family's always there. Like or one yeah. one member of your family's always there. So did you ever feel I guess not not annoyed at the fact that they're always there but just sort of warmed your your own space at times? Yes and no. Um obviously having them there and, and having the support there
1: was I felt it was was an awesome thing. Um, Obviously, yeah, you you want your own space from time to time. And I I feel like the way that they brought us up and the way they were allowed that as well. So they didn't sort of treat us any differently to any other junior that was at the club while we were there. Obviously, everyone knew that that we were their their sons or or whatever, but um, it wasn't like they treated us as if we were were their sons. They sort of just treated us as as one of the the bunch, I guess. Um, Yeah, obviously, personally getting... Getting your own spaces is obviously important. Um, and then I guess from time to time, yeah, I would sort of go out with friends or, you know, go for a, sounds really like young, but go for a sleepover somewhere or, you know, and, and sort of, <laughs> I'd sleepover is such a bad word. Yeah, doing doing that, those sort of things was, was sort of an, an out for me. Um, so I'd, you know, go to my mates' houses, have a few cordials and, and all that sort of thing and, and hope that mum and dad didn't find out the next day, um, which they obviously knew, but they, didn't really spray me or anything so that was good no they obviously just let me know be careful but um that was sort of my out was was going and seeing friends or um and all that sort of thing and and then I actually enjoyed spending time with I know it sounds weird but I actually enjoy spending time with my family and and um and doing things with them as well so sport was always a massive part of my life and and I almost sort of I guess became accustomed to to my family being there so it wasn't like a a weird thing or um or me going oh why is my mum and dad
0: here and and, and all over me sort of thing, it was sort of just almost kind of normal, I guess. We'll keep on going on with football. So obviously you've gone through that whole junior um, side of things and you're getting a bit older and the whole senior um, aspect of football sort of comes along. But before we go into that, did you ever sort of want to go any further with your football? Because I remember we were having a chat one day and um, we are talking about the whole Mariners program. I think, I don't know if you remember this, but this still pisses me off to this day, but um. You try, out, you try out for the mariners and i think that well, one of the coaches um told you that you weren't fast enough or fit enough something like, something along those lines I and, that. Uh, yeah. no, i've got a great memory <laughs> and <laughs> um i remember just thinking like because me and you were always sort of up there when it came to those time trials and that sort of stuff and obviously i did a bit of cross-country so i thought to myself that i was a pretty good athlete sort of the endurance sort of thing so Man, you you always competing and then you getting told that um you won't fit enough or you want a really good run that sort of pissed me off so i guess what did that sort of do for you with your whole aspirations of maybe taking your football to the next level in sort of under 16s
1: when it just was like the i guess precursor to, to mariners and things like that i i was in that and, and going quite well and and sort of made the final cut and then i got injured did in my ankle and then they didn't pick me obviously and um i didn't get to go and then i guess i had a really good year the next year at it was, yeah, Hobart City. And, and then, yeah, tried out for the Mariners again and, and thought, you know, I'm, I missed my 16 years. I'm, I'm pretty keen to, to try and get a gig and wear the map sort of thing and um, went through it all. And, and yeah, it told me the reason was sort of too slow and my running wasn't as, as good as it was, even though I'd run a, nearly a 15 the beat. But... Um, it sort of it, it rattles you a bit, but I guess having having guys like yourself and, and people to, to sort of bounce off and, and family and all that sort of thing made it a bit easier to, to sort of recover from it, I guess. Not recover, I don't know if that's the right word, but to be able to yeah, bounce back and, and then and then sort of just jump back into footy. And at the time Hobart City was quite young and I was getting a lot of games there and, and getting a lot of time in, in playing there. And um Doc was the coach at the time. He was really helpful and awesome for me and, and gave me a lot of confidence to just sort of play my own game and, and play the way that I could play and, and that he. He saw me playing. So yeah, running around in the in Hobart City and, and sort of playing against senior bodies and, and that sort of thing, I guess, gave me a bit of a bit of a spark and a bit of a um, confidence that I could do it. And then from there I always sort of I didn't really ever sort of just imagine playing, you know, playing in Hobart City and playing or playing North Hobart or whatever it was. Um, games and being a cup legend and all that sort of thing and that was sort of the the driving force but then not that I felt that I was too good to be there I just I just wanted to to further my career and and become the best player that I, I could possibly be and looked at you know maybe looking at, at VFL and, and things like that and I thought well you know if I'm going to move from Tassie I'm going to go somewhere warmer so the NEPL was the perfect fit in the end and that's sort of being the best player I, I could be sounds like a cliche but being the best player that I could be was a huge driving force and I thought the best way to further my career was was to not play in the in the TSL and, and get somewhere that I could could do that and and you know get some experience against you know sort of AFL reserves teams and bigger bodies and, and better players and and all that sort of thing you know guys that have been on AFL list for five ten years or or whatever it is and then obviously the coaching side of it as well and coaches that have been in AFL systems or striving to be in AFL systems and, and things like that and the need for sort of fitness as I said before with, with Ryan he sort of pushed me towards that direction and, and that's sort of where I where I went and ended up and it's it's been awesome so yeah no, I definitely feel like I've gotten better in, in footy and, and in,
0: in general as a person as well so um, it was a pretty good decision in the end Yeah I do remember talking to you about that whole incident with the whole matters and all that sort of stuff. But no, nah, it was good how you sort of, I guess like you said, not so much bounce back from it, but just sort of went along with life. Like you're not really the type of person to sort of get hung up on things for too long. You just sort of, you know, you're a good football player. I know a lot of the boys that played with you that year you know you're a good football player and you don't get a nickname of Silk by being an average football player. So I guess you just, <laughs> <laughs> you just took it, you just took it, whatever what was said, and just went and bounced back from it and just kept continuing playing your footy. That transition, though, from, I guess, the TSL to kneeful, what was that like? And obviously moving to a whole new um, whole new location, leaving Tassie and leaving, I guess, family and friends behind. Um, what, what was that like for you? Obviously, you moved over with your fiancé. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> don't tell her that. Oh, don't <laughs>
1: Shaky knee. Yeah, no, it was obviously tough initially when I sort of was making the move I was like oh you know I'm just going to roll over to to the Neathfield and dominate and get drafted and, and all that sort of thing and and I I don't think I not that I didn't take it seriously it was just sort of a, a little bit of a wake up call of you know the quality of, of footy that's, that's in the in the country and yeah going to the Neathfield and playing there and I my sort of first year I was a little bit inconsistent and, and um sort of caught up with me a bit and I sort of the first year I played sort of 9 to 10 of the first games and then and then sort of was in and out of the side or mainly out of the side to be honest but just struggling with the I guess the standard of, of footy it was quite a big jump in the end and I think I just sort of thought I was just going to roll in because I was, I was playing well in the T-cell and I was feeling good and then going to a new club and trying to fit in and, and see where I where my role could be sort of thing as well was quite tough and, and obviously moving away from home and, and the, that support network that I was talking about before you know Sort of family and, and all all my great mates that that are in Tassie it wasn't easy as well because the sort of not that not that Brooke's not a supportive person but she was the only one and and sometimes she just got sick of me talking about footy so yeah I guess not having the support network network there was was quite hard and, and I've talked about this with Brooke and we sort of mentioned it a bit that during that, that we rural away we're sort of like well you know this is this isn't working like we need we need to go home like um, you know we're missing family too much or we feel like we're missing out on things down there and, and we sort of said well, we'll just get to the end of the year and then we'll go but sort of got to the end of the year and we'd made some friends and sort of established ourselves a little bit up here and and we thought oh we'll we'll give it another year and then um you know sort of took off from there and footy was starting to become really good and I got a bit more consistent and started to play some really good footy and Brooke was settled here she had she has plenty of friends up here and she's always doing stuff with them and we all sort of kind of settled into life I guess after the first year and made it a lot easier and obviously family were up up a fair bit and you know mum and dad flew up as much as they could and and spent some time with us and, and did all that sort of thing and I guess we sort of, that second year really sort of settled us. And then um, I guess you could say the rest is history, mate. Um, they won a flag that year and, and footy was coming, becoming really good. So it just took a little bit of time to get used to it.
0: Yeah, that's very true. Um, obviously, so your first year, as you mentioned, you were a bit um, unsure if you wanted to stay or not. And then the second year, things got a little bit better. And recently, a few Tasmanians are starting to take over Queensland and that Southport Club with, like, obviously, old mate Cramps um, Grant, Blake, Blake, Blake Grant coming along. <laughs> um, and obviously, Mackenzie Willis played there for a bit, didn't he? Yeah, he played uh, Yeah, he was there last year. Yeah, and and obviously this year as well. He was yeah, all then, over. But yeah, and then you got Zach, who moved. Gosh. Your brother Zach who moved over, and then Maple moved yeah, over Zach as well. Up. Obviously, yeah, having Brook there as well at the start. But um, what's that sort of? I guess the influx of Tasmanians coming into that whole Queensland sort of um aspect of things. What did that sort of do for you and Brook? Obviously, knowing that you've made friends as well, but you've also got that link. Back home to Tassie yeah. with like Blake and Zach and obviously um a few of the other guys that came up. Yeah, there's actually a few of us. It was like last year, there was like five or six of us, so or something
1: like that. But yeah, it's pretty. It didn't really affect us too much, like because obviously we knew a lot of the guys, like Jesse and Jesse Maple, who'd been around in Tassie a lot and at the same club and everything like that. And and um and then obviously you know guys like Maka, um sort of played against him a few times down in Tassie and knew him a little bit before he came to the club, but didn't know him too well. And then uh, Dylan Fife's up here as well. We played for Lauderdale and we were the same age. So we went through sort of Mariners and and stuff, not Mariners and stuff together, but we tried out for Mariners and stuff together, but um, both didn't get in, I don't think, unless he might, he might've played, I'm not quite sure. But so I kind of knew him as well. And I guess integrating them into, into love up here wasn't, wasn't too hard because they were sort of coming to the footy club and they were getting to know the mates that I've sort of made as, so it all, it sort of just became rather than sort of, you know, my Tassie mates are here and my, Queensland mates are over there. It sort of just became a, a big group of mates sort of thing in the end.
0: Um, you touched on that a little bit before about your um, winning, uh, winning a flag... I was listening to uh, Zach's podcast the other day. I'll give a bit of a plug here. Uh, Zork Talk. Go check it out. It's a really hey. good podcast. Um, so you won the flag in 2018? Yeah. 19. not 18 or 19? No, 18. 18. 18. Yeah, because yeah, you, you got pumped last yeah. year. But <laughs> we won't talk about that, though. Thanks, old, at, yeah. old Brisbane. Yeah, that was the weirdest grand final. Can you sort of um, explain sort of what the goal yeah, was. a bit strange. And rumour rumor has it that you were actually the 19th man that was on the field. No, I wasn't, mate, it was weird. It was, um, it was super strange. We Obviously, great day. We were
1: playing really well. And I think we were up by sort of 10 goals at three-quarter time. And you know, the coach sort of revved us up a bit and said enjoy the last quarter because you know, it's going to take a, a big effort from Sydney to sort of kick 10 goals and, and win the game. So all we had to do was beat him in that quarter and we were, we were premiers. And um, we sort of all rubbing about and smiling and, and loving life and then um, we sort of got to our positions and I think about a minute in or the umpire was like called a head, head count more we like um oh, what's going on here um sort of looked around and it's quite quite clear that we had an extra extra player on the ground so they did the head count and confirmed that we had 19 we sort of didn't know what was going on we were all like oh from what I understood and what most people understood was if you had an extra player your score was wiped so they Sydney got a lift and and they were playing really well and we just couldn't get near it because we were, just, we were just rattled at the fact that we just let a grand final kind of slip out of our hands from what we, what we thought was going to happen. And then the runner comes out with maybe five, ten minutes left um, and he's like, no, nah, we're all good. We're all good. No, don't stress. We're all sweet sort of thing. And we're like, oh, yes. But, but then we kind of didn't really leave him, but like, we're like, oh, right. And then siren goes, bit weird because half the team is like celebrating. And then half the team was like, "Oh, I'll be sure we've won," sort of thing. So, and then the GM of, of footy came out and he was like, "Yeah, no, we're all good." I've talked to the needful West Sweet. And We're like, god, oh, yes! So we can finally celebrate. But yeah, it was the most stressful quarter of footy I've ever played. Like we were just like, we can't have just lost this because of that. The nineteenth man copped it all of you know, silly Sunday and, and Mad Monday, and and then the week following. So um, he was in all sorts for most of that weekend. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. But then, obviously, still got the medal, so we'll still count it.
0: Nah, dub's a dub, mate. Dub's a dub. Just touch on Brooke for a bit. You mentioned to me earlier before the you're thinking of proposing sometime soon. So, um, let's... <laughs> <laughs> i you When you're Brooke, mate, cause I've seen some, seen some um, sus photos of you two when you were younger. Yeah, we're a sus couple, mate. We're real sus. Um,
1: it was actually at an athletics carnival. Cute. And it's actually got a funny story for everyone else embarrassing for me at the Athletics Carnival I was a, an emergency for the 1500 or something like that I just I said to the sports teacher look mate I don't, I don't really want to do anything but is there an emergency spot for me that I don't have to do anything and he, I can just come I need a day off math mate I need a day off he was like yeah no worries come along and I was like oh sweet so I was there I'd been talking to Brooke you know sliding the DMs and putting my best work in before that and all that sort of thing And she was obsessed with me so it was a no-brainer mate from there I, it was about halfway through the day, and, and the sports teacher comes up to me. He's like, I think we're going to have to need you to do the hurdles. And I was like, oh, I've never done the hurdles before. What do you mean? And um, he was like, yeah, you have to do the hurdles. Like, you, just, you just run and jump over them. It's not that hard. And I was like, oh, righto. No worries. I'll, um, I'll give them a go, mate. And um, so I went over to like the, the practice area whatever, and there was a few hurdles set up. And I was like, I'll just run and jump over these. See I go sort of thing. Got over and fine. Um, and then got to the, to the race time. And, I was like, oh, I'm on here. I'm going to win in front of the girl I'm talking to and she's going to be like, oh, he's hot and he can run and that hurdles as well and all that sort of thing. And, <laughs> and so and I was like, sweet, this is going to be awesome. Got to the starting line. Mate, I was, I was in perfect nick. I was feeling good. Gun goes off, shot out of the blocks. First out of the blocks, I was flying, jumped over the first hurdle, my first leg got over and then I heard this, and my back leg had hit the hurdle. I've fallen over. And everyone's gone past me, and then I've I've gone. Oh, I don't want to really finish the race here because I've just just embarrassed myself. Mum and Dad were filming it, and they were laughing, so that was good. So I finished the race, and everyone, you know, when like someone's coming last by a long way, and everyone starts to clap and makes you feel worse. And I was like, oh, don't clap for me, like just give me a spell. And so I finished the race, and and then yeah, sort of went over to Brooke. I was like, yeah, sweet. This is this is going to go well. She's going to be like nut. And then yeah, we ended up going out from there it was actually a good story so um, yeah. I guess my charm and my personality mate just got through to so. us
0: Ah yeah yeah, athletic ability you just couldn't couldn't it <laughs> Yeah definitely wasn't my athletic ability mate yeah, yeah. for sure uh, no, I love that so obviously yeah obviously you and Brooke have been together for a long time now um, what sort of impact has she had obviously with your football career allowing you to sort of just chase your dreams um, and sort of just do whatever you want really Yeah oh massive mate um, you know she's always there to bounce off and you know you have a bad
1: game you come home and sort of like you, you kind of want to dwell and, and sit there and because you've lost or whatever it is, but you sort of come home and she sort of snaps you out of it pretty quick and, and gets you going. And, and, you know, you can have a laugh and, and all that sort of thing and, and forget about footy. And I think that's, that's sort of her role is just sort of because footy's so full on and, you know, you spend a lot of time there and, spent a lot of energy there. I guess just coming home and, and having her to, to muck around with and, and talk shit about, you know, whatever it is. But just having her to bounce off and, and her to, to to support me and um the way that she has, has been has been unbelievable really. Like not saying that I moved here because of footy, but it was a quite a, a big part of why I wanted to move but and she fully supported that and she she wanted to move here anyway. So it wasn't like I was, you know, dragging her across the country to, to go play footy. It was it was more of a mutual thing and, and just the fact that she she was the only one there to support me during that first year and it was a a really tough year so having her there was just a cherry on top and it really helped me and she's been amazing mate she's um yeah she's a good girl
0: throughout so this next section of the podcast Matt and I will be talking about a time we faced a challenge setback or failure how it affected him what he learned from it and any advice he'd be willing to offer
1: so it wasn't sort of a um, one particular challenge, probably more of a you know three or four different challenges is a way to put them over a sort of a four-year stretch, four or five-year stretch. Sort of lost um, three or four people that were really close to me and, and my family over that stretch. First one was mum's pop. So he owned... A shack down in Primrose that we would go to during the summer all the time, and we were really close to him. And he, we sort of, we sort of lost him at the, I think it might have been the start of two thousand thirteen or the end of one of the, one of the two. So that was the first sort of uh, family member that I've lost, and um, I didn't sort of really know how to deal with it at that point, and I was quite young. Like I was only I think I was only fifteen or sixteen at the time, and I didn't really know how to how to deal with it and how to how to grieve properly. And then. From there, mum's mum and dad's mum were both crook with cancer over a long, a long period as well. Um, and we lost dad's mum in I think it was twenty sixteen. We lost her. That was different. First family member we lost because it was sort of like someone that I'd seen, I'd see you know every one two days or. She was she was a massive influence and the way that she sort of battled through cancer and, and all that sort of thing was, was quite incredible. Like she had stomach cancer when she was younger and had half her stomach cut out and then she got stomach cancer again, which is like I don't know what the statistics are, but it's like incredibly like rare. The way she battled through that and the way she handled herself and the way she loved us and, and all that sort of thing was like was something that was just out of this world and I sort of not bottled everything up. Losing two was something I'd never even dealt with. Like I haven't not really dealt with a a loss before. Like I haven't had anyone sort of die in my family before so losing two in a short space was was quite tough and then mum's mum was also battling cancer as well and she was she was different in a way that she was she'd been in a wheelchair her whole life too life sort of dealt her a really rough hand and Nanny Morza is what I call her. She's, she was the one in the wheelchair and then Nanny Iza was the other one. And the way they battled through, you know, a shit hand really. Cancer's not a very nice disease, obviously. So the way they battled through and the things they taught me of, of how to fight and how to stay positive through bad situations and was something I really took away from those two in particular. It was a really tough period and mum's mum died in 2017 as well. So that was the first year I was here away from home. Another challenge that was different. I was away from home. She was in hospital while mum sort of called and said you've got to come home i think no, i think it's, it's going to happen pretty soon flew home and saw her the night i got in sat there and talked to her for however long and she then passed away that night so it was like that rattled me too um obviously knew that she was crooked and knew that it was probably going to happen um but the time i got to spend with her and the fact that i got to actually get down there and talk to her made it a lot easier and um i guess it was a really tough period like losing sort of those two strong people in your family within a year of each other pretty much was something out of this world and as I said before like I didn't know how to grieve with it initially and that's probably one of the bigger things not the bigger things but like it sort of puts life in just perspective a bit and really sort of treats you how to stay grounded and, and not sort of get ahead of yourself and and all that sort of thing and I think knowing how to grieve with it has helped me sort of later in life as well because we two more people that, that passed away um as well and I, I was sort of not accustomed to it at all um, I knew how to best deal with it myself, um, and what I needed to do to to grieve. So. It was a big learning curve like those sort of i guess four years was was tough as and like never an easy thing and and i'm sure a lot of people you know losing someone it was just it was just it sort of taught me a lot about you know life's just precious and the things i learned from those people um and those individuals in particular sort of almost shaped me as a person as well showed me that nothing's ever hard to talk about or um or you shouldn't sort of bottle things up and, and let things get to a point where you can't talk to someone and that's something that you're doing with this podcast mate that's that's unbelievable is is getting people to talk and sort of getting people to express themselves and express challenges that they've faced and it's um honestly the best way to to sort of deal with things is to just talk about it It doesn't need to be an in-depth emotional conversation it can be telling stories about that person or telling stories about what you're going through or um or what it is so um i guess the main thing is is the talking part of it talking to people too so being able to talk to brooke being able to talk to mum and dad being able to talk to friends is a massive part of it and a massive part of um, helping people grieve and helping me grieve in particular in, in my case. So, yeah, it was sort of a, obviously it's not a, it wasn't just a one one challenge thing. It was more of a, a period of time where there was three or four challenges that were thrown at thrown at me and days and yeah, I learned a lot about myself, mate. But the main theme is is talking about it is is the best way to go about it, and that's why I commend you for doing this podcast, mate. It's just, it's unreal. So yeah, that's so that's sort of my challenge, mate.
0: Thanks so much for sharing that, Matt. I really I really do appreciate it. You mentioned how when your your mum's pop passed away first, um, and you didn't really know how to grieve. What sort of changed from how you responded from your response with your your mum's pop passing away too I guess your mum's mum passed away and then your dad's mum passed away so sort of I guess what lessons did you learn from how you grieved with the first incident yeah. to the other the other two yeah the first one was probably one of those ones where
1: um the stigma around men at the at the moment and all that sort of thing is you just sort of shut off and you don't sort of speak up and, and talk to people about how you're feeling at that particular time like I feel like you know we had the like the death ha- the first death happened and then um had the funeral and I thought okay I've got through that that's it that's the end of it sort of thing but then you know you don't really think about you know a week or two weeks time when you want to go talk to that person or you want to see that person or something and then that's when it sort of catches up to you I guess so sort of being more open to to having conversations sort of later on and after you've sort of initially had I don't know like a funeral or something like that um, it's probably the the big thing is just is you're never not going to forget about that person or or miss that person. So talking about it a week after or three months after or two years after is just as important as as talking about it at at the time. So um, I think that's a big thing is just getting through that first period of sadness and and all that sort of thing and then thinking that you're all good and and you don't have to worry about it anymore is probably the biggest thing and and actually sort of getting to a point where two, three weeks down the track you're still talking about the person because that's – that's how I was sort of grieving. And that was the best way for me to grieve was to keep keep talking about them, keep telling stories about them, um, keep bringing them up in conversation, telling them, you know, and things like that. And I, uh, uh, one of the things that I sort of did was I had messages from both nans on my phone and I sort of just, will just go back and read them, which is a bit weird. I don't know if it's a bit weird, but it's sort of something that helped me because then, it, you know, I saw the last conversation I had with them and, well not the last conversation I had with them, but the last sort of tangible conversation I had with them that i could see and it helped me sort of remind me you know who they were and what they taught me and what and sort of influence they had on me so i guess the first sounds so bad by the time i got to the second and third death that sort of thing um i sort of knew what i needed to do personally to to get through it and um a lot of the time it was sport or indulging myself in footy or indulging myself in basketball or whatever it was it was something that where i didn't have to not think about it but i didn't have to concentrate solely on that i could go play footy for two to hours and and just sort of ban a safe space and, and clear my head a little bit sport people in general talk about it but that when they're doing their sport and when they're playing or when they're training or whatever that's their that's their space that's their time to clear their head and i felt that, that was massive for me and it really helped me get away and, and sometimes obviously people think well how are you doing this so quickly after you, you know and you've lost someone it's just just one of those things that that helped me grieve about it grieve with it and, and move not move on but um, move forward sort of thing so yeah that's that's sort of the lessons i learned it was was more individual lessons of of how i could best deal with grief or a challenge or or whatever it was it could be anything as i said before like talking you know a month down the track or two months down the track or three years down the track or whatever it is like you still got to you know get up and, and and talk about it so um they're probably the main main things on that mate. yeah
0: so you talked about concerned. obviously you left a lot from those people and obviously you've, you've got amazing parents and I can't, thank, I can't thank them enough. Uh, everything they've done for me, uh, like it's crazy what they've done for me and not only for me, but like everyone like I mentioned at North Hobart and I guess just everyone that I've met, like they just, you just sort of have this instant connection with your parents and with your yeah. whole family. So you do have an amazing and supportive network around you. What's one bit of advice you'd offer to someone who may or may have already gone through something like this? It's probably an individual
1: thing, but finding something that you that honours them in your way. So whether that be for me playing footy with a black armband on or something like or putting their initials on my boots or something like that like finding a way that you can honor them or honor their their life in your own individual way and I think that was massive for me obviously the black armband things a widely recognized thing in in sport and in footy in particular and that was the thing I did but also you know found ways to honor honor those people in in my own way and I think you can sort of get caught up in sort of thinking that the funeral is honoring them so that's that's me done like I think it's really important to find something that you can do yourself that will help you like individually. So that's probably that's probably a,
0: a key lesson for me. I think you just gotta individualize it a little bit. Yeah, no, I love that. Like everyone grieves differently and and it takes time to get over things. It doesn't have to be a massive thing, it's just a little thing. No, I love that. love that. No. But thanks, thanks has for sharing that, Matt. Really, really do appreciate it. Before we wrap up, what's what's your favorite quote or something you sort of live by? It's massive for me. So
1: whether that be enjoying footy, enjoying going out of the park with the dogs or enjoying whatever. I think enjoyment's a massive thing for me. And um, if I'm not enjoying things and I don't sort of put my, my full effort into it, I guess. So that's something that I, I like to do, but I, I don't know. I don't really have a quote
0: for you, but probably should have researched it. But. <laughs> no, was all good, it was quite no, it's all good it's all good it's all good well that's all i've got for you matt um thanks so much for coming on thanks it's good to catch up with you thanks for sort of sharing sort of that challenge that you went through and obviously like i said before you've got a great support network around you so keep using it and keep i guess being you now i absolutely love it matt thanks mate
1: thanks for having me on bangers it was a pleasure mate keep doing what you're doing you're killing it